and welcome to the Tech Done Right podcast, Table XI's podcast about building better software, careers, companies, and communities. I'm Noel Rappin. If you like the podcast and would like to encourage us to continue, please follow us on Twitter at tech underscore done underscore right, or leave a review on iTunes. iTunes reviews really do help new listeners find our show, and we thank you in advance. We also have a new newsletter where you can find interesting stories, podcast news, and some mini essays from me. You can subscribe at techdonright.io slash newsletter. Today on Tech Done Right, we're going to be talking design sprints with Zeke Binion and Kai Haley. Zeke, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Zeke Binion. I was formerly the director at TableXI and helped set up design sprints there. And today I run a little site called codefordesigners.com. The goal of the site is really to help designers that have learned the basics of HTML and CSS take their skills to the next level. And Kai, could you introduce yourself, please? Yes, absolutely. I'm Kai Haley. I'm an interaction designer on Google's design relations team. I also lead the Sprint Master Academy, which is our internal program to train Googlers on our design sprint methodology. And I have trained over 200 Sprint Masters to date. Wow. So we're here to talk about design sprints. And I think that the first place to start is what are we talking about? Like, what do you mean when we're talking about design sprints? Who should use them? What are they good for? What actually are they? At Google, we think of a design sprint as really a tool for answering a critical business question. And we do that in five phases that are organized to encourage divergent and convergent thinking. We try to generate a broad range of ideas and test them very quickly with rapid prototyping. And we do this with real users in generally less than five days. Many different kinds of teams at Google use design sprints, ranging from your product teams to our internal tools teams that actually create tools for Googlers. And we even have our training programs use design sprints as well. So what's a specific example of a kind of problem that would be really well suited to a design sprint? We often, one of the most common design sprints that we run at Google is a an existing product sprint. And this is where you have a V1 of your product out there and you're really looking to improve it. So you have some data, some metrics to show what's working and what's not working. And hopefully you might have some user research that would help inform the design sprint. So that's one of the most common use cases for one, but we will also do a sprint when we are really looking to generate a shared vision for the team of what the product could be. So that might be something where we, we want to imagine what two to three years from now we might be able to offer in a specific space. Um, and that would be what I would call a vision sprint. So we do different types of sprints. We also do process sprints, and that's where you might want to bring a team together to improve a process that you have have and, you know, streamline that process, make it more effective. But there's some structure to this. Like it's not just, we don't just throw everybody in a room with a bunch of Sharpies and, and post-it notes and tell them to go. Like what makes it a design sprint and not just a bunch of people sitting in a room? Yes. What makes design sprints different than regular brainstorming? We have a very clear structure. And before we start a design sprint, we always identify what is the challenge that we're going to be taking on. So we work together as a team to define that challenge. And then we set up our agenda and our structure based on the deliverables that we want to get out of the end. So everything is very targeted and every minute is actually scheduled. So we will do brainstorming. We will do sketching, but we're utilizing every moment that we have together as a team to really maximize our cross-functional collaboration. 
The book Sprint sets out a, a structured process. How strictly do you stick to that? We at Google actually use a slightly modified version of what Google Ventures, the method that Google Ventures uses is tailored to startups and tailored to smaller companies or companies that are able to get specific roles in the room. Um, and they don't do a significant amount of planning in advance. So they allocate five days so that they can utilize the first day for a lot of the planning. At Google, we're a much larger company. We have to do a lot of that planning up front. It's very hard to get people to come and dedicate three to four days if it isn't very clearly defined what they're going to be working on. So our sprint lengths are usually a little bit shorter and our process is more tightly structured. So on the first day, we bring the team together and we do lightning talks. We invite uh, knowledge experts from within the team or from outside of the team to help really look at the problem space from 360 degrees. And um, we really build shared knowledge. We're creating shared knowledge, shared vocabulary, and basically a collective brain for problem solving. And that's really what we do on the first day. Sometimes we'll actually move really fast. And by the end of the first day, we'll generate sketches and ideas for what we want to prototype. The second day is where we're deciding what to prototype and beginning the prototyping process. And then by the third day, we're pretty much ready to put the concepts in front of users. And we spend the second part of the third day primarily focused on putting our concepts in front of real users. So you actually build a, a prototype, usually some sort of prototype, and you actually are doing user testing at the end of the, th of the sprint. That's the goal, right? That's where we see the most value from a sprint. Mm -hmm. There are other situations in which we might do just a portion of the process to, uh, we might do a diverge stage where we're just generating a broad range of ideas for the team. But the value where we're really able to save time and, and know that we're building the right thing comes from validation with users. And when we say prototype, it's really important to understand that we're not building any functionality that we don't need. We're not building any backends. When we say build, um, Mostly we're putting together a facade of the experience so that we can get real feedback from users and we can make them actually feel what the experience is like. But we don't spend any time mapping out entire flows or thinking about the, you know, the, the, the structure behind it. We're just trying to get that experience communicated. Yeah, we used to call those Wizard of Oz prototypes. Don't look behind the curtain. Zeke, how did you come across, how did you start looking at these and how have you used them to help? clients. Yeah, I think it's interesting um, from sort of the origin when Design Sprints came into my purview, uh, I think was probably around the time where the Google Ventures team had begun writing articles about it. Um, I think the first article I remember seeing out there in the wild was the one that was on Fast Company's website um, that kind of outlined the whole process at a broad level. From there, I ran into a ton of people in the design community that had already begun to implement design sprints at their own agencies. And so I gathered a lot of the backroom chatter, if you will, about the war stories behind sprints, you know, how they implemented it at their company, you know, how was it solving problems for their clients. And uh, starting fast for a lot of the kinds of clients that TableXI works with, those startups, those sort of smaller businesses. It's a lot of the same problem I think the Ventures team was having. And so it became a really interesting model, I think, for TableXI to begin to explore. And much to, I guess, the credit of Jake Knapp and his team, the book was a pretty handy instruction manual. 
but it was really great to see it documented very well before we even were able to begin implementing it at TableXI. I think one of the kind of interesting things I think of when I think of sprints is part of the assumption we've had at TableXI for a long time is that we're working with clients who need to take a little bit of time to explore their business and either get internal folks aligned or even just get us externally aligned with their vision. And so we've fallen up a lot more into the ventures model, but I think as it's matured, we're coming into the larger Google model, um, which is teams that have worked together. They know the business, they know what's happening um, with their users, and they understand the problem a little bit more. I'm very curious to also hear about what that shift feels like um, from a structured perspective, at least for you guys on the Google team. In terms of shifting from building in a lot of time into the design sprint to really explore your business model and your business goals. I mean, Jake's done an amazing job with the sprint book. It's a really, really great way to learn how to start thinking this way. And the sprint mindset is let's develop a hypothesis, create an experiment and test it with our users really fast before we start investing a lot of time in building something that we don't know has value for our users. So the high level goal with design sprints is to utilize design thinking methods, user research methods, even business analysis methods to really understand your users and understand your business and create some, you know, experiments and some tests to move it forward and to really make your product more user focused. So the flexing and the adjusting of that methodology is really the benefit of it. So you can take a look at what does your team need right now? Do you need to have a discussion about, you know, how are you going to increase acquisition and what is, who are your highest value customers? And do you need to have that kind of conversation? Or is it one where you really just need to bring together a developer and a designer and a researcher to, you know, explore what are the technological opportunities in this space that you haven't looked at before that will really provide you know, great experience to our users and leverage cross-functional collaboration? Or do you need to create team alignment? As you were saying, a lot of times you have people working in parallel or in silos and you really want to bring them together to really create alignment on, on what your product should be. So I highly encourage people to think about it as a flexible process that uh, is really intended to help you get learning quickly from your users. So Kai, will you train people to facilitate these kinds of meetings? That's right, Mike? Absolutely. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, okay. So I want to make this a little bit more specific. Let's try and train me. And Zeke, you have a lot of experience. You can, you can weigh in too. I'm mostly a developer. I have a little bit of a, a UX background too. I have, I don't know, let's say I have a, a client that I, I want to be specific, but then I don't want to point to an actual client. But, but let's say I have a client that's, that's, they have a long, they have a long-standing website. They're an e-commerce business that also has a, a brick and mortar. They're concerned with how their website reflects their company and maybe reflects their business values. Like this sounds to me like the kind of thing that would be a design sprint. What do I need to know to be able to facilitate one of these? Like what would make me a good facilitator? Is that too big? Can I ask, should I ask a smaller question? <laughs> no, absolutely. So, you know, being a, a sprint master, as we, we call them at Google, is kind of a combination of things. You have to have a good understanding of product strategy. So you might start with, you know, asking a whole lot of questions. What are your goals? Where do you see, you know, this website in, in a couple of years? And this is the kind of prep work we would do before the sprint. 
Yes. So you would have a conversation with your client or with your team, depending on how you're starting this process to plan the sprint. And usually what we do is we'll start writing a sprint brief together where we identify what the challenges that we want to take on, what user research has been done, what analytics might you have from that website that would help you understand where are the breakpoints or what's not working today. Sometimes at this point, you might also realize that you need more user research. So, you know, I I often will recommend, well, let's, you know, go do some interviews or we'll run a couple surveys to make sure that we have enough information that we can actually come together and problem solve this challenge. Would this include like competitor analysis or just sort of more generic brand strategy kind of stuff, like anything that we can throw into this? I guess not anything. When you're starting to plan a design sprint, what you're really thinking about is what content can I bring to that understand phase? What lightning talks am I going to schedule? And so one of them might be, I'm going to ask somebody on the team to put together a competitor audit, as you mentioned before. Who else is solving this problem really well in my problem space? You might ask somebody to come and give a presentation on the user perspective. Who are the users? How do we think about them? Do we use personas? Do we look at behavioral types? In your mind, are all customers the same? Are they not? Um, how do we want to better meet their needs? Do we know what their needs are? The Sprint Master is doing a lot of this planning of making sure that you have the right inputs to bring to that conversation. And then the other thing that the Sprint Master, I mean, so it's kind of beyond just facilitation that we're talking about here, but to actually organizing this event so that it can be really successful. And part of that is making sure the right people are in the room You might have to have a couple of meetings with your client to say, okay, who are going to be the primary owners of the outputs of the sprint? Who has a lot of great knowledge to share? Who has the ability to reject the ideas? And you want to get all of those people there in the room for the whole time. You want people to have buy-in to the outcome of the sprint. So it it doesn't help. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And also, because there's such great collaboration value here, you wouldn't want to have one group of people do a sprint, and then hand it off to somebody to just implement. Sure. The idea is you're, you're all building not just ownership, but um, you're leveraging the skill set of your team well. So, you know, if you have a developer who's working on the site, you want them in that sprint because they will then absorb all the shared knowledge and they will have a good, strong perspective on who the user is. And the point of this is to be as user-focused as possible because we know that's what creates the best experiences. But to your question about facilities, Facilitation. Once you actually get into the sprint, there are lots of things that uh, Sprint Master um, has to do to really help people to understand the process, to go through the process, and to come out with really strong deliverables that they can act on. It seems to me a, a lot like uh, Sprint Masters are almost, they're sort of guides. They kind of help people move along, help people by answering questions or posing questions to sort of clarifying where we're moving inside of the sprints. And I think that's a really interesting facet of, you know, the sprints overall, regardless of structure. So does it help to have a sprint master who is going to be the project manager on this project? Or do you want somebody from outside or somebody who has, like, to what extent do you want domain knowledge versus sprint knowledge in your facilitator? So generally, we value the outside perspective and the strong understanding of the process over domain knowledge. So we often at Google will have somebody run a sprint for another product area rather than their own. Also, it can sometimes be difficult to separate yourself from actually the problem solving and the content. And so if you are 
the UX lead or um, the owner on the project, you will have a lot of opinions and probably want to actually participate. Yeah, it's hard. I guess it's hard to run and participate at the same time. I think that would be really challenging. I've done it before. And let me tell you, it's not advised. <laughs> Zeke, you've probably, you probably have some experience on that too, right? Yeah, I think I've pretty much been exclusively in a position for the most part of um, both facilitation and participation. And it's certainly not an easy hat to juggle. I think I've, as a facilitator in those moments, I try to train others so that they can help um, and assist in facilitation when I know I'm going to you know, run into a spot where I'm more opinionated than I should be. All right. I've gone, I, I've got my client. I've got, I, I've identified some experts to give lightning talks. We, we've done, I've identified the the people who can make decisions in the room. We, we've got our information on day one and now, or what's the first thing that we do with that information? Well, I always follow uh, my lightning talks with a, uh, how might we brainstorming session? Mm -hmm. And that is where during the lightning talks, um, we have everybody all the participants in the sprint capturing opportunities that they hear on sticky notes. And so we call these how might we's because you're really trying to take challenges and pain points and things that you hear and reframe them as opportunities to be solved, but they're not solutions yet. They're not ideas yet. They're places that we're going to start sketching solutions for later. And it's really capturing everything that's in everyone's heads and then putting it all together into this, you know, collective brain that we're creating. And the, the brainstorm basically is each person reads out their sticky notes, um, puts them up on a board or a wall and one by one. And then we start to affinity map them. We look for natural categories that emerge overlaps. And, and we're really basically trying to get, develop a way to enter the problem space. You know, what categories are important? What should we be thinking about? And then we conclude that with a voting session where we actually let everybody in the team say, hmm, I think this opportunity is probably the most important one that we should address, or this one's pretty important as well. And, and then we prioritize. So first of all, everyone is specifying their opportunities using the specific structure of how might we make our customers comfortable online? How might we improve conversions? Something like that. And then the goal there is to pick the one or maybe two questions that you're going to address in the rest of the sprint. Is that... Actually, we don't do that. We're not prescriptive at this point. We're still in this divergent stage. Oh, okay. What we do with the, the voting is let people express their opinion on what they actually think is most important. Because when you step back and look at that board of post-its, it can be really overwhelming. And there's a lot of content there, a lot of potential spaces to problem solve around. And you know that you won't touch all of them. And the other thing is we don't ask people to self-edit or craft very specific and well-articulated how might we statements. That is something that some other design thinking methods do. We're just going for quantity. We want to be as creative as possible and just get everything in there. And so then the, the voting process just helps to pull from all of those um, opportunities, the ones that we're, that we're going to start thinking about in the next stage when we start okay. sketching. So we start sketching based on the most popular subset of these opportunities that we've identified. We actually don't start sketching right after this. So I talk about sketching, but we might do a couple of things between the how might we brainstorm and the actual sketching. 
like, for example, we might do some journey mapping and take a look at how does your product actually fit into people's lives beyond just the user flows that you have. We might take a step above and, and, and really look at what are the, you know, the use cases and the experiences of your users and where are the pain points and how does your product fit in there? So why the user might be coming to this website in the first place, what problem they're trying to solve. Yeah. And outside of their first entry point to the website, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, what was the first time I actually had a need for whatever it is that you're offering? When did I decide I wanted to plan a trip? You know, was I, I was traveling, you know, on the subway one day and I thought, oh, I should really go to Tahiti. So where's the beginning point in a user's life of when they have the need all the way through to the final completion of, of when you filled that need? And what's the goal of that within the sprint? The way that I use it and journey mapping, user experience mapping is a a very mature field and there's tons of great resources on this. So I'm using it just very much for the context of the sprint. Uh, What I want to do is make sure that we're not focused too much on the existing flow or experience that we've designed and that we're really looking for opportunities to meet users' needs better. So we're really thinking about what users' needs are. And very often when you're building a product or a website, you get very deep into the weeds of what, what you've already already outlined and you're problem solving, you know, around these structures that you've, you've set up that maybe aren't the best for your user. So it's a gut checked, a step above what you've created to make sure that what you're working on actually really is meeting users' needs. I do it in a very short, like 30 minute time frame. There are some sprints especially at Google, where if you're working on a process sprint or something much more entailed, you might actually do a sprint just around journey mapping, where you'll create a user experience map for you know multiple users that are using your, your product so you can really understand how it's meeting their needs better. And that might be something you spend half a day on or a couple of hours on. So it really depends on the needs of the product. Okay. I've done this. I, we, we, all right. We'll, we'll float. We'll keep going with the travel example. We, we've, we've, we've <laughs> identified, we, we've, we've contextual. The purpose of the journey map mapping basically is to contextualize our, the opportunities that we see within what the users might be doing. Is that correct? Is that fair? Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we started with this journey map that starts with the customer, uh, sees a picture of a sunrise, uh, a sunset probably on the subway and decides they want to go to Tahiti and it ends with them purchasing tickets through our website. This is good. We have no travel related clients, so this won't be identifying. <laughs> well, it, it might actually end when they get home from their vacation. Oh, okay. That's good. And they're happy and they're done. So you, you really have right. to think about the edges of this experience. It can spread out and yeah, in a lot of ways. That's so. a really that's a really good point. So okay, we, we've identified that. We we've identified an opportunity. We'll we'll say that some opportunities maybe like uh, how might we convince a user that our service, our travel service is the one they should use? How might we give the user a feel for their vacation from our website? Something like that. Do those seem reasonable? Usually we, we would be looking at a, how might we make it easy for our user to compare deals for specific things? You certainly could say, how might we reach our users? And if you want to focus in on something like promotion of the site, or there are different stages, obviously, in your project and your product development, but you will think about the challenge that you've taken on and your how might we's will be very much focused on. If your challenge is, we'd like to design an experience 
for people to book travel, say, mobily on their phone very easily. And depending on what your product is, you will define what your challenge is. And then your how might we's are going to be very much tailored to that challenge. Okay. So now we start to sketch. I mean, there's probably, <laughs> we've probably been a day boundary. We've probably gone home, gotten a good night's sleep. Well, it depends. I often push people to sketch on day one. We might talk about success metrics before we begin sketching because it's really important that the team all agrees on what does success look like for this project? What are we going to measure after we launch? What are we going to come back and say, well, we reached our goal? You know, Is it X number okay. of people booking travel per month? Is it X number of new users? So you're going to be having some of these conversations about your business goals at this point, but you really need to provide some um, criteria for making your decision later on what you actually want to test. And so at this point, you might also talk about what sprint questions you have. If this is a tool for answering a question, you know, what assumptions or hypotheses do you have about what your users want to do? And so one assumption might be, I'm assuming that my user wants to be able to book their travel in one go and that they don't actually want to go and revisit and re do this over a couple weeks' time. Let's test that assumption. Let's put something in front of users that shows them, you know, how easy and fast it is to book. You may find that users actually like to think about it a little bit. They like to compare. They want to do this over a, a two-week time period. But you'll have a set of assumptions that you're working under that will be driving a lot of your ideas. So it, often before we start generating the ideas, we might discuss assumptions and questions, or we might discuss them afterwards. It really depends okay. on the team. Then we'll start sketching. <laughs> Yay! I know you guys are all really excited to start sketching. Wait, is that a real, I'm guessing, is that a real thing in the Zeke, you, in your experience too, are people like really eager to start like brainstorming and sketching? You know, I think honestly, the designers are, in my experience, uh, the room is always a little afraid to pick up that pencil. The designers are afraid or the non-designers are afraid? Non-designers. Are they intimidated? Is that something you have to overcome? Intimidation. I think there's also a little bit of comfort in uh, sort of doing the job that you're used to doing. Um, if you're a developer, your first instinct might not be to sketch, although there are a lot of great developers who do. You know, the same might be for project managers or someone else in a business analyst role. Okay, so as a facilitator, then I guess one of your jobs is to make sure everybody is comfortable. You don't want just sketches from the designers. You want everybody, I'm assuming, to participate. So what can you do to make that process, which is somewhat coded to some of the people's day-to-day jobs and not others, how do you make that more comfortable for everybody? What I've done as a facilitator, I happen to be able to tell this story because it's true for me, is um, I always begin the sketching process uh, by telling people a little bit of a story about sketching. I'm a person who has a Bachelor of Fine Arts from a, an arts school here in Chicago. And I'm typically the worst sketcher in the room. And it's very easy to see when I draw on a whiteboard. Um, so a lot of it is about lowering the bar. There really are just a couple of shapes that you're drawing, you know, a triangle, a square, a circle. There's not a lot of artistry to it. The point of sketching in this situation is to convey your idea, not as necessarily to be a Picasso. Interestingly enough, I do the exact same thing. I usually give an example of how you can draw something basic with a, a circle, a triangle, and a, and a rectangle of some kind. And I think it tends to work pretty well in terms of helping people not feel too intimidated. 
And I've certainly been in situations where even after that, I'll have an engineer just writing bullet points of their ideas. That would be me, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, and that's not ideal you, because you really want to try to communicate your idea, but beautiful sketches are not necessary for this at all. So, and this process is really intended to get everybody's ideas. It's really meant to be as inclusive as possible. So we use it for things where we're generating ideas that don't maybe even have a visual representation. I mean, at this point, beautiful sketches are, if I'm remembering UX research, my own history with it. Beautiful sketches are actually a little counterproductive at this point because people start focusing on the like aesthetics rather than the structure. Definitely at, at the crazy eight stage. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Crazy eight stage. What do you mean by crazy eight stage? So crazy eights is really the method that we have for getting a lot of ideas out really fast. And we've found that when you apply a time pressure to people that it helps them to get past their first idea. So what we do is we give people eight minutes to generate eight ideas. This way they don't get stuck on their first idea, drawing it in a lot of detail, like you're saying, trying to make this beautiful sketch of something that may not be the most compelling or innovative concept. So we say, try to fill up the whole paper, eight rectangles on this paper. And it's kind of a challenge to people to see if they can actually get eight ideas down. So it's really fun and pushes people uh, really well. So in our travel example, we, we would be focusing on comparison. That was one of the things that came up. So I might, you might say crazy eights, try and come up with eight ways in which we could compare different travel options in eight minutes. And I probably have one or two in my head as we're starting, but now as we get to further on, I'm really, I'm, I'm kind of scrambling and that's the kind of process that you're trying to capture, right? Yeah. And, you know, once you jot one down, the next one kind of comes up. And so um, it's one of those things that it's really quiet in the room. Everyone's sitting there and the timer's going and you'd be surprised how many will come to you. And the other thing is if you have seven to 10, you know, usually we have teams of about seven people and often we have two teams with like 14 people you get a ton of amazing ideas in that time period. So it's, it's really effective. And, you know, obviously there's overlaps. People have some of the same ideas, but it, but it works really well. After that is when we start getting into the more well-crafted, very detailed sketching. But this is the point where we're just trying to get the crazy ideas out there. So, okay, everybody's come up with their crazy ideas. We've got dozens of ideas because we've probably got eight people's eight ideas. What do we do with them now? How do you move forward from there? Within Google, we really like to let people share these because we see a lot of cross-pollination of ideas when this happens. So we do basically a presentation or, you know, you, you put them up on the wall. Each person gets like three minutes to talk through them. You go through everybody's and then give them some sticky dots to let people express which ones they think are the most valuable to the end user or to your challenge. And then after that, people will start doing their own individual solution sketches. As I'm sure for those of you who have read the sprint book, they don't share their ideas out. He's really kind of driving people towards one really, really solidly created idea per person. And he explains in there the, the value of that. So there are different ways to do it. Uh, just want to point that out. Uh, I find huge benefit from letting people brainstorm off of each other at this point. And then the next stage, you're still doing individual ideation, taking the one idea that you feel the most strongly about and creating a beautiful sketch. I think one of the other motivations behind not sharing the crazy eights is this concern that people have about not being the most 
most beautiful sketch. And so sometimes people might feel a little uncomfortable sharing, you know, these kind of chicken scratches. But, you know, you try to make people feel comfortable, but then also understand that, you know, this process isn't always about comfort. It's, it's really about getting the best ideas out there. You know, it's interesting. Just anecdotally, I wanted to add, that's actually a similar place where we diverged from uh, the book at Table XI. We also found a lot of value in sharing. I think we stopped short of the dot voting, but we do go around the room and for three minutes have each everybody present their ideas to each other. Everybody comes up with then their one preferred idea, and eventually we decide on one idea to turn into a prototype. How, is, that, is that correct? And, and how does that happen? Yes, it's not quite as straightforward as that, but um, but yes, moving to the next step is each I'm person... I'm here to be corrected, that's what... No, no, I mean, we talk about it and it sounds very straightforward when you say, okay, now let's just decide what to build. But when it comes to the deciding stage, it can actually be quite challenging to um, get everybody to decide on on what should be prototyped. And frequently it isn't this whole sketch in its entirety is the concept that we build. Often you're taking from one idea and another idea and you're, you're putting them together. And that's where the storyboarding stage comes in really, really handy because you can start pulling these fantastic ideas and putting them into a flow that creates an experience. We'll do voting at the solution sketch stage, but usually it it doesn't yield like one clear winner. It very very frequently ends up being, you know, we have three or four things that we're going to put together that we want to test that are going to help us get learning. So, you know, again, you're going to go back to your assumptions and your questions. And also the other thing that I really encourage people to do at this point is go for the riskiest, craziest idea because you can always build the safe thing later. But for a sprint, you want to see, you know, what could you do here to really disrupt your field or meet your users' needs better? So a sprint is a great place to to do something risky. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I think that's actually one of the things we prep our clients with in the beginning of the sprint um, because we know there's a lot of, you know, hesitancy to use as much resources as you're using to run a sprint um, and not come out with the final solution. But honestly, you learn so much more by exploring the edges than you do by taking a safe road. Okay. Is this then like kind of the the heart of the process then, this sort of winnowing down? Or do you, so I, I guess this happens, there's sort of like three phases here. There's generate a bunch of ideas, pick one idea to run with, and then test it. Is the middle one the important one for getting consensus or shared understanding of the problem, that kind of thing? Well, you're building shared understanding as you go because you're having many conversations along the way. And oftentimes, this happens really frequently to me in a sprint, we'll end up building two things Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, to test. And the other reason why I like to have like 12 to 14 people is I can have two teams. And that means I can really maximize the time and test a couple of ideas. You could either pit them against each other where you say, okay, let's mock one experience which shows like a a super fast way to book a flight versus a, you know, more detailed comparison model over here where I can pull in content from like three different travel sites and then see which one works. So you can sometimes pit them against each other or you can set up like two parallel concepts where you're thinking about two different parts of your product, but it it really lets you, gives you more resources. Okay. So then you go off and you prototype the idea or ideas and you're using something like 
using ba- relatively basic tools. You're using things like Keynote or PowerPoint or just basic draw tools. Like we're not coding for the most part. We're, we're mostly setting up interactive storyboards. Is that my understanding that right? Of course, it depends on right. your script sure. and sure. your product because not all of them are digital. Right. Maybe okay. if, you're, if you're prototyping a process, you might play act something. Or if you're doing a voice UI, you would use the Wizard of Oz prototyping <laughs> Very directly then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, you figure out what you need for your sprint. And this is another important role of a sprint master at the beginning to make sure that you have the skill set to build what you need to build in the sprint. So if you want to make a video in your sprint, make sure you have somebody who has um, video editing capabilities. We're not, as we mentioned before, we're we're not building a lot of backend, but you might be pulling in some data that you want to use to try to make it as real as possible. I generally end up in the clickable mocks um, realm, or again, if it's a voice experience, sometimes you can actually code a a voice interaction faster than, you know, visually mocking it or, or recording it. Mm. So, you know, it, it really depends on your needs, but we never spend more than eight hours prototyping. So that should give you a sense of the way that how scrappy we're being and how fast we're moving. And then you take it in front of users and, and this is, you really just need a couple of users. What are you looking for in this phase? Well, ideally the magic number is five. five. Um, and that's the, that's where it's sort of after five, you see, you start to get some of the same feedback and less than five, you're not getting the full range. And I believe there's some actual research yeah. out there to, to validate that. I usually end up doing six or more, uh, I, I schedule six because almost always somebody doesn't show up. You kind of have to be prepared because real people have real lives. So if you're, you know, coordinating users, you kind of think about making sure that you get to that five number. Okay. And then are there differences between this kind of user interview and a more standard UX kind of interview, or is it basically just a typical user interview? We tend to think about it as kind of a usability study. You're Mm -hmm. usually giving them a task and having them complete it based on what it is that you want to learn. And you should be writing your interview script along with making those prototypes. So to make sure that they they line up really well. And usually the interview is actually probably informing some of that prototype where you're thinking, hmm, I want to ask them about this. I want to ask them about that. I'd like to see what they do um, in this instance. And so then you want to, you know, you create those flows so that they make sense. But it's, it's a pretty standard usability test where you're asking them, tell me what you think about this page and talk out loud, you know, think out loud as you're going through it and give me your impressions and tell me what you expect to happen on the next screen. And so, yeah, usually it follows that unless you have a specific need for the type of, of sprint that you're running. So if you're designing a space or you're designing a process, you might need to figure out another way to test that experience, either through role-playing in some way or developing an experiment that you run on a certain amount of traffic or something like that. I think sometimes, you know, for us, depending on the client, I think that's when the interview day can get a little more exotic um, because sometimes we'll have a client who's really just sort of in the beginning of a discovery process. And so some of our introductory questions might be things we might use if we were just out in the field asking research questions in general. Trying to think of an example without being specific to the client, but maybe you have a client who's you know, working on a two-sided market and they want to, you know, generate a couple of ideas and really think about what this product could be. But it also may necessitate us asking some questions about their own processes to the customer. And I think that's a really interesting uh, 
use case, especially if you're coming in without as much research as you may want going into the process. And it's really helpful to have a user researcher. (laughs) That's one of the roles that I bring to every sprint, somebody who has a wealth of background in this area and can help, um, you know, sort of problem solve on, on the spot. After the user interviews are done, what are the sort of standard, do you have sort of standard steps that you ask people to do with the information? Where do you go from there? We usually do a, like a debrief at the end where everyone comes back together and talks about the responses that they saw. Sometimes we will do a whiteboard sort of note-taking exercise where we're capturing visually what we hear um, so everyone can get a sense of you know what worked and what didn't work and what might we want to adjust after this. And usually it takes a little bit of time for people to synthesize what they've learned, but that's generally the close of the sprint. And at that point, we might talk about next steps. You know, do you want to set up another sprint to, you know, explore a new area? Did we learn something that now we think um, we, we should be exploring a little bit more? Or, you know, did you get a lot of great feedback and you're ready to go just, you know, adjust these a little bit and start building something that you're going to then get um, actually out into the world? So it really depends on the outcomes from those user tests. But uh, frequently there's really actionable, good learnings that you can take right back to your team and start working with. You know, one of the questions that I think is interesting outside of the process is getting everyone else to be able to do this process for themselves. Um, obviously, there's the sprint book for resources, but I'm curious as a person who trains people in sprints, what are you know common things you run into or common issues you run into in regards to people learning how to facilitate these this process themselves? I hear from people a lot that it's a little bit scary to jump in and do it your first time. And one of the things that we do with our Sprint Master Academy is we actually give people shadow opportunities or buddy opportunities so that they can do it together or learn from other people. So kind of the mentorship model where you can go and um, help somebody run a sprint and see how they do it. Um, so that's, mm-hmm. that's one thing that I recommend is if you know other people that are running them, actually there's really great um, opportunity to jump in on other people's sprints. We look for what we call wild cards to join a sprint, which is somebody who has you know, an interesting perspective, maybe from another product area um, that will come and join us for three or four days and really help move the product forward by injecting that outside perspective. So um, a lot of times uh, we'll invite people to come join a sprint as a shadow opportunity, but also as a participant. So that's one one way around that like initial sort of hesitancy to jump in and people don't want to get things wrong. So uh, they get a little nervous that they want to be able to do it just right. And I encourage people to just try it. You learn by trying and that's how I learned. So, you know, it can be a bit of a challenge to convince people to go on this journey with you. So uh, the other thing is to pick a challenge and a team that maybe is not the most, absolutely most critical for your company or in something that's kind of like a starter challenge that you can work on and has valuable outcomes and it is important, but it isn't the one that's going to be a make or break so that you have a little bit of leeway in there and you can feel a little bit more comfortable with the learning process. Great. Kai, if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about design sprints, where should they go? Where should they look? Well, we have a fantastic uh, website, Design Sprint Kit with Google.com, that has all the methods and the process that we use. So I encourage people to check that out. There's some 
template decks and sprint briefs. I mentioned some of those things people can use. And you can follow me on Twitter at Kai Haley, my name. And I'm always happy to talk about sprints and give feedback on planning process. I'm absolutely passionate about this process and feel happy to talk about it anytime. And, and Zeke, where can people reach you if they want to talk to you about design sprints or anything else? Yeah, if you um, want to chat with me, I'm on Twitter. It's my sort of favorite uh, social network. My handle there is ebinion, E-B-I-N-I-O-N. Also, you can go to Code for Designers if you want to learn about coding or just get in touch with me there. Great. Thank you both for being here. I really enjoyed this conversation. And Tech Done Right is a production of TableXI and is hosted by me, Noel Rappin. You can find TableXI on Twitter at TableXI and me at Noel Rapp. The podcast is edited by Mandy Moore. You can reach her on Twitter at the Ruby Rep. Tech Done Right can be found at techdoneright.io or downloaded via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can send us feedback or ideas on Twitter at tech underscore done underscore right or subscribe to our newsletter at techdoneright.io slash newsletter. TableXI is a UX design and software development company in Chicago with a 15-year history of building websites, mobile applications, and custom digital experiences for everyone from startups to storied brands. Find us at tablexi.com where you can learn more about working with us or working for us. Thanks again, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode of Tech Done Right.